Hair of the dog that bit me, Lloyd. Hair of the dog that bit me. Hi, welcome to Literary Italy. Today we're going to be reading Natalia Ginsberg's Winter in the Abruzzi and uh, talking about Abruzzo. Uh, if you can, please follow us on Facebook at Literary Italy. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Literary Italy Podcast, on Twitter at Literary Italy. Uh, and if you want to send us a note, uh, have any ideas about what you'd like to see us talk about, um, you can send us mail at mail at literaryitaly.com. Wonderful. Hi, Anne. Hi, Jim. So um, today is a bit of an experiment because today we're going to be speaking about a region in Italy where neither one of us has ever been. It's always great to hear people talk about places they've never been. But, um, we're oh, but we never wing it. But we're going to also talk about this essay by Natalia Ginsberg, Winter in the Abruzzo, which she wrote um, 1944. And it's only about six pages long, and I'm going to link the text to our Facebook and Instagram uh, pages. So you have no excuse. Six pages, you can do it. Okay? Oh, and it's fun. It's a good... I, it's fun's a short, not quite right, no, but, fun it's, is it's, not, but certainly not interesting... <laughs> It's engaging. It's certainly yeah, she, engaging. Yeah, she's a wonderful writer. So I thought of this essay because in our last episode, we were talking about Carlo Levi and Christ Stopped at Aboli, which is his account of his um, exile in the region of Basilicata, um, uh, I guess 1936, so before World War II. And something similar happens to Natalia Ginsburg and her family. So let me give a little bit of a background on who Natalia Ginsburg is. And who is Natalia who, Ginsburg? Yeah. So she was born Natalia Levy, uh, 1916 in Palermo, to um, a an Italian Jewish father from Trieste and a Catholic mother from Florence. And um, her father was got a job at the university in Turin, mm-hmm. and the whole family moved there. Na- Natalia was the youngest of five children, and um, she actually has a wonderful account of her of her family called Family Lessico Familiare, which has been translated as family lexicon or family sayings. And it really is a memoir of growing up in Turin with her family. And as I said, she was the youngest of five children. She sort of has said that um, she was always kind of trying to get a word in edgewise because these were big intellectual mm. people, her her father and her, her brothers and sisters. Um, and she... Um, Something, I think a little bit of that comes out in her writing style. She's very economical in her writing. You know, as I said, this essay is six pages, and I think it's powerful that she doesn't need 60 pages to say what she what she says in this in this uh, essay. Um, she their their house in uh, Turin really becomes a center of a cultural center, intellectual center in the city, and also begins to be a center of anti-fascist um, meetings, really. And, um, through her brother, actually a friend of her brother's, um, she meets Leone Ginsburg, who is a, um, actually was born in Odessa in Ukraine. And he himself spent at least his teenage years in Italy because, uh, the whole family was on vacation in Viareggio and, um, World War One broke out. Mm-hmm. So he stayed behind in Italy with his governess, and um, so he's obviously fluent in, in Italian, but also in Russian. So he taught at the university, he taught Russian at the university. And she marries uh, Ginsburg in 1938. He is also, um, he's Jewish. 
Natalia Ginsburg herself, actually, as I said, her father was Jewish, her mother was Catholic, but really were they were non-practicing. They raised their kids essentially non-religious. So we might she has been variously described as an atheist uh, Jew or um, but certainly sympathetic to Catholicism as well. Um, they marry in 1938, and they have three children. And in 1940, the, they are sent in exile to a small town in the region of Abruzzo called Pizzoli. So this is a little bit similar to what we read uh, a while back with Carlo Levi, correct? And in, in, in a similar kind of, uh, for some reason, we, we seem to be um, um, butting up uh, with um, fascist dissidents. Right. So not some reason. It's just my, that's, that's no, my, just, I went off on a tangent, yeah. but, um, she, um, they, they, uh, you know, one of the, ch- uh, the children is actually born there. They're there for three years. So 1940 to 1943, um, part of, you know, 1938, the year that they're married is also the year that the fascist anti-Semitic racial laws are passed in Italy uh, up until then. Um, it, it, the fascists were not really um, anti. Anti-Semitism wasn't really part of Mussolini's. But platform. it, but it became. But it became. Um, yes. But in addition, um, um, Leone Ginsburg, who at the time was was um, at the publishing house of Eonaudi, um, that's one of the major, yeah. still one of the major publishing houses in Italy in Turin. Um, he refused to sign the the fascist. Oath. So, so he was um, he was uh, lost his position. However, in exile, he managed to continue working for for the publishing house. So they were in this small town in Pizzoli, and I, I think it's a little bit interesting. I mean, I see some parallels here with also Carlo Levi in Aliano, in the town that that he's in in Basilicata, where they find themselves exiles, but they also see parallels with their own lives with their lives and the lives of the peasants around them who are in a sense in exile from from the the broader culture of Italy and perhaps even you know the world um in 1943 uh there the allied invasion of Italy begins and Mussolini falls and at that point um Leonie Ginsburg leaves Abruzzo and he goes to Rome for his work as part of the resistance. And later on, um, Natalia Ginsburg with the three children also leaves the small town. And basically what happens is that is a neighbor, the Germans invade the town and a neighbor tells the Germans that um, Natalia Ginsburg and her children have just, they lost their papers. And so they just need to get to Rome. So they're actually transported by German troops to Rome who don't realize who they are. Um, in Rome, um, for a while, they're working with the resistance in hiding. But Leone Ginsburg, uh, when Rome is taken by by the Germans, Leone Ginsburg is arrested by Italian police, and he's sent to the prison of Regina Celi. Um, there, as you might imagine, being a Jewish uh, member of the resistance, he is tortured for weeks. And ultimately dies of as a result of the torture that that he suffers at the hands because they they put him in the German section mm-hmm. of Regina Chaley. This essay she writes shortly after his death in 1944, and it's a reflection on their 
time in the Abruzzo. So it's called winter in the Abruzzi. It's actually one particular winter, but but it's a reflection on that time. But it's also a reflection on the way we experience life, the way we look ahead, you know, our, our dreams and our regrets, our dreams and our reality. So I, I was... It's it's packed. It's, it's uh, packed. I mean, six pages. That's why I said she's yeah, very economical it, in her you, writing. You, and as you describe it, it seems like it, it might be very abstract and far-flung, but it's it's filled with detailed remembrances. Various and, people, people right. in the town. And I, I think that's interesting because she, she begins, actually she starts talking about the women in the town. And she said, when I first got there, they all looked the same. Mm-hmm. There are all these women. They all have, um, everyone, by 30, they've all lost their teeth. Whether yeah. you're 30 or 60, you have no teeth. But she begins to kind of... Um, individualize these various people, including their, um, you know, their neighbors and their um, crocetta, their serving woman. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, I call her a serving woman, but she was actually 14 years old. And she was there and she helped to um, take care of the children. And in the afternoon, Natalia Ginsburg had some time to actually do some writing of her own. Yeah. It's also nice. She she takes some time to try to um, look at things from the perspective um, of her children. So, uh, she, she tries to tell them, uh, about, um, being back in this, you know, back in Turin, back in their city. And they respond, but here there's Giro's and Giro's is <laughs> yes, a, Giro's is a the, lo- local the local grocery. Like, yeah. well, more than that, right? It's, she it's, says, it's, you know, in our, the our notions store, locally. in our city, there are these big buildings with many, many, stories and they say yeah but here we have giros and And giros you can get bubble gum and you can and what what she remembers about giros is the rotten orange (laughs) (laughs) and that giro would not budge on the prices there was no haggling with with giro um it's it's a wonderful little essay and i just can i read the last two paragraphs okay um and as i said it really covers just one Winter, but it, this is being written in 1944, so she's looking back on this time. A restlessness awoke in us as winter drew to its end. Perhaps someone would come to find us. Perhaps something would finally happen. Our exile had to have an end, too. The roads which separated us from the world seemed shorter. The post arrived more often. All our chilblains gradually got better. There's a kind of uniform monotony in the fate of man. Our lives unfold according to ancient, unchangeable laws, according to an invariable and ancient rhythm. Our dreams are never realized, and as soon as we see them betrayed, we realize that the intensest joys of our life have nothing to do with reality. No sooner do we see them betrayed than we are consumed with regret for the time when they glowed within us. Mm. And in the succession of hopes and regrets, our life slips by. My husband died in Rome in the prison of Regina Celi, a few months after we left the Abruzzi. Faced with the horror of his solitary death and faced with the anguish which preceded his death, I asked myself if this happened to us, to us who bought oranges at Giro's and went for walks in the snow. At that time, I believed in a simple and happy future, rich with hopes that were fulfilled, with experiences and plans that were shared. But that was the best time of my life. And only now that it has gone from me forever, only now do I realize it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I, I made, I read it without 
without getting a tear in my eye because <laughs> I really thought I would. Yeah. That um real you know, so that this this acknowledgement for those three years, they're just like, Oh, I can't wait till we get out of here. I can't wait till we get out of here. And not realizing that these are the last three years of her husband's life. Right. So here she is, 28 years old. 28 years old, mother, married mother of three, has um, you know, written a novel. She's um you know, it, it, these her her family and her friends are part of the resistance, and she has seen her husband um, in hiding. They've been in hiding, and her husband has been imprisoned, tortured, and killed. Twenty eight mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. So it's quite a start to a life, and her life is incredible. I mean, she goes mm-hmm. on uh, several other novels, obviously many other essays, and one of the essays I think one of my favorite essays by. Um, Natalia Ginsburg, The Little Virtues is the title of this collection of essays, which is kind of a a little manual on raising children. So here's, did you know, this is one of those like weird little, you probably did, but um, uh, maybe you've gone through, this is actually just what I saw on Wikipedia, so this is kind of <laughs> nothing to our listeners, but that she played Mary of Bethany. Yes. Yeah, she yes. did know that. In, so in she, the Gospel according to St. Matthew. In Pasolini, which I think we mentioned in the last episode when we talked about Matera. So Pier Paolo Pasolini has a wonderful movie, the the um, Gospel according to St. Matthew, that was filmed in the city of Matera. And she has a small role in that. In addition, she was also elected member of parliament in 1983. Um, just, a, just an amazing life. Uh, one of her children, uh, Carlo Ginsburg, is a is a wonderful historian too. And if you ever get uh, a hold of the the book, The Cheese and the Worms, he's an historian. That's a wonderful. Um, he's a wonderful medievalist. So, in this winter in the Abruzzi, you know, this got me thinking. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Abruzzo. Mm. Okay. So the, I just want to say one one of uh, our listeners has uh, reached out to us and said, uh, sometimes uh, I follow the literary stuff, but I feel that uh, you just haven't left an opening as far as the, the regions are concerned. So I just want to let that listener, Joe, know that we've, um, in this case, we, we actually haven't been there. So so we are trying to find our way into Abruzzo from what we... Um, well, let's situate it geographically sure. first. So um, I think you probably, there's the boot, and it's kind of, um, it runs sort of northwest to southeast, you know, kind of at a diagonal. And so the Abruzzo region is on the Adriatic coast. So that's the eastern coast of Italy. It Mm -hmm. is uh, east and northeast of Rome. Is that right? Yes. East and, and north of the Abruzzo is the region of Le Marche. South of the Abruzzo is the region of Molise. The Abruzzo is kind of an amazing region because it has a little bit of everything. Mm. It has huge mountains. It has ski resorts. Um, and by huge mountains, I mean like mountain climbing type mountains. Skiing? It has skiing, yes. Um, you know, as she says, what's the first sentence in this essay about the winter two in seasons. the Abruzzo? There are two seasons. There are only two seasons in the Abruzzi, summer and winter. <laughs> you know, That's so. Not- that's not selling it. That's though. not selling it. No, but I think that the summer must be well. Some people love winter. Some people love skiing. So right. I, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna judge them. But I think there's a. I think what that conveys though is a certain ruggedness. Yes, it's it's rustic, but at the same time, I mean, you have fairly decent sized cities: Pescara, Aquila, 
Um, in addition, there's a gorgeous coastline. I mean, just Google Abruzzo, coast of Abruzzo, and, and take a look at some of the pictures. It's it's a gorgeous coastline. There's this section that's known as the Trabocchi Coast, where there are these long fishing piers that have um, more recently actually become restaurants. So you actually go mm. out on these these long piers in this in this beautiful water, and you know talk about fresh seafood. There you go. You know here's the catch, uh-huh. and um, so it's also very well known for food, uh, also for wine. The obviously the Montepulciano d'Abruzzo is the red, um, and there's also the white. What were we saying, Trebbiano? Well, Trebbiano is the is the it, it's uh, is the grape is a, yeah a white grape, and they, there's a there's a, a, a varietal in Trebbiano d'Abruzzo uh, that's that's a duck. That's a, uh, what is it, Denom- denominazione? Right, d'origine controllata. Right, so it's, it's, uh, it's like the AOC that they have in, in France as well. Uh, so it's a, it's a uh, geographic and... Uh, a geographic and ingredient certification that it's from this area adhering to to these standards uh, to these traditions. Yeah, as always, I favor the sea over the mountains. This is like our ongoing mountains. Oh. See, I I favor the sea, I, and I like them both. And frequently, <laughs> and the nice thing about Italy is it's you can the Reese's get them. peanut it's, butter. It's, co- well, you it's can, also kind of like California. You can get both. You right? can get both within an hour's drive. Yeah. In addition, there are small historic towns, very well preserved small towns. There's tons of artwork. There's the um, National Museum in Aquila. Aquila, you may remember, five years ago suffered a a large earthquake, which really, um, I think about 300 people were killed. It was not the largest earthquake, recent earthquake in Italy, but it was a large earthquake in a heavily populated area, which was very severe. Um, that doesn't mean stay away from Abruzzo because I have to say the entire peninsula is seismic, you know, so wherever you go, you, you run, the, you know, there are, there are earthquakes. Um, other things in the cuisine that are specific to this area is the use of saffron. Also these black uh, chickpeas, cecineri, mm-hmm. botarga, a kind of roe, uh, um, a cured fish, fish eggs. Now, now, as I understand that, though, so what I what I was looking up, that's that's not loose. Those are, are dried and packed, so it, it's kind of it looks kind of like something you would slice. I assume yes. it's very salty. And as I said, you can slice it, you can grate, you can, you can grate, grate it. it over pasta. Um, they're well known for for handmade pastas, ravioli, and things like that. Yeah. In addition, um, the Abruzzo has a, an extensive park system. It has, um, you know, one of the largest parks in in Italy, the um, National Park of the Abruzzo, which I guess is now called the National Park of the Abruzzo and Lazio and Molise, but mostly it's Abruzzo, that includes animals like bear and the Italian wolf. Um, some of these, I remember I um, during my walk on the Via Francigena, I struck up a conversation with a guy who was planning on walking from Rome after his walk on the Via Francigena. He was going to walk from Rome to the Abruzzo to his familial birthplace. And he was telling me about having seen wolves hmm. in the Abruzzo. You know, he had a funny story about um, just encountering a wolf at the end of the trail. Wow. And he said, and I said, well, what did you do? He said, I looked at the wolf. The wolf looked at me. I looked at the wolf. <laughs> and eventually... The two of them both slowly 
backed away and the wolf wolf left. Now it's also, I, I imagine, uh, being um, having some some woods similar to Umbria in that there's a there's a lot of truffles and mushrooms as well. That's a large part of the. That's what I've. Yeah. I've been saying. Yeah, so there's a lot there. Um, Abruzzo is often described as kind of an underrated region. Uh, I think it's not as well known outside of Italy. It's well known, fairly well known yeah, in, I, in Italy. Um, if you're looking to buy a villa, um, <laughs> you're probably, it's probably too late for Tuscany and it's time to start thinking about other places like the Abruzzo. Oh, well, and one thing that I just, the first thing when I looked just to see, well, what, um, what would someone see if they were looking at Abruzzo for the first time? And the first article I came to was entitled something like, the best food in Italy is to be had in Abruzzo now. Mm. I thought that was, mm. well, that just, no, just that there's, it, that, and, and to your point, and that it's a, uh, it's a great place to be looking into now. It's, and it's, when we say undiscovered, it, it's funny because it's, you know, Natalia Ginsberg is writing about it. And the very first time I read about any place and the very first time I remember reading about anything in Italy was, uh, was Ernest Hemingway writing uh, a farewell to arms. Right. A lot of which is set in, in the, Abru- in, the right. in Abruzzo when he was, uh, it, well, it's based on his, uh, his experiences as an ambulance driver. Right. Uh, in World right. War One, right, and I, I have to say, I mean, I do feel a little bit funny when we, you know, we did Carlo Ginzburg for Basilicata, and he's not actually from Basilicata, and we have Natalia Ginzburg for the Abruzzo, but she's not actually from the Abruzzo. But there are a number of fantastic authors from the Abruzzo that we're going to discuss in future episodes, including D'Annunzio, kind of mm. hard to avoid D'Annunzio, Benedetto Croce, who's better known, probably affiliated, you know with other regions, but he was born in the Abruzzo and Ignazio Silone, who talks a lot. He writes a lot about the, the culture of the contadini, the peasants of this area. Mm. So, so will, um, be, will those, our selections be about Abruzzo? Cause that, that is kind of the challenge. I mean, we were thinking about people, mm. you don't necessarily write about where you're from or. Right. Right. Like and you take someone like uh, Natalia Ginsburg. I mean, as I said, born in Palermo to parents from Trieste and Florence, Grew up in Turin, spent this time in Abruzzo and then Rome and then Turin. And she's she's really, and I, I actually think she's all the better for that. I mean, uh-huh. she's really an Italian author. I mean, she's from all over the peninsula. Um, yeah, I, so that's a, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge as we come to it. I, I have no problem with reading. Not if, not if I burn it first. Reading an author who is from a particular place, but perhaps their work doesn't discuss that particular yeah. place. As you said, well, and sometimes you don't write about the place that you're from because the familiar is just is right. something you hardly see anymore. And yeah, and I, I think we, you know, so we read, uh, uh, we read the Neapolitan novels and we're assuming that Elena Ferrante is, uh, is, uh, Neapolitan. Um, so we, we do get that perspective, but I think there's all, there's also something to be said about understanding the perspective of a traveler. Um, especially because people listening to this frequently will be travelers. So I think, um, and you know, we've got, we're probably shortly going to be doing our first non-Italian, uh, author. author. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, I think we're, we're looking forward to going to the Abruzzo. We actually will have the opportunity to possibly travel in Italy in January. And I think that Natalia Ginsburg is the reason I don't want to go to the Abruzzo. Because when she says that uh. there, when she describes winter in the Abruzzi, 
I'm not sure I want to be there in the winter. So <laughs> I, I don't know. We, you know, but anyway, uh, we would like to get there. If you have been to the region of Abruzzo, we would love to hear your experiences and uh, your recommendations. So you can kind of comment on our Facebook page, Instagram, or send us an email. Mail. Or DM us on uh, at Literary Italy, uh, uh, our Twitter account. Okay, yes, a mail at literaryitaly.com. Or um, start a GoFundMe so that you can send Jim and me to <laughs> no, the No, that's Abruzzo. not the way that works. We would start the GoFundMe and never mind. Money, right. money, 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 money. All right. So we will, um, I'm going to get this essay up on the Facebook and the Instagram page. And I hope that you enjoyed it on as the much Facebook. As, Did you actually just say on the Facebook? It's going to get it up on, fa- the, on the on, Facebook page. On the Facebook page. Yeah. And I hope that you enjoyed as much as I do. Um, as I said, Natalia Ginsburg wrote, I think, six or seven other novels, or six or seven novels, novels. plus her essays, plus a number. Um, she wrote a, an account of the Manzoni family. Uh, Alessandro Manzoni is. We, and when we talk about Milan, we're going to have to talk about Manzoni. Um, she's just a, a fantastic writer, and I think she's being rediscovered more recently. So there, you, you should be able to find this collection of essays, The Little Virtues, Natalia Ginsburg. It has been translated into English, and as I said, it, uh, sections of it can also be found online. So we're going to link to that. A prossima settimana. Okay. We will see you or hear from you or you will hear from us very soon. Ciao. Have a great week.